0: The clinics could also offer counseling on how to kick the drug habit. The solution would reduce the number of police and court personnel needed to handle drug-related crimes. The number of crimes would decrease. Some feeling of safety would return to the streets of New York. Everything tried to date has failed. There is no solution in sight. Heroin clinics may be the answer. This has been a WOR 710 editorial. I'm Robert S. Smith. W-O-R-A-M will consider making time available to responsible spokesmen with views differing from this station's. Straighten up. Fun and games are over. It's time to allow the professionals to take over here. (laughs) And ain't many of us. Bring it up there, please, if you will, (laughs) Ed. All right. Now, just as I promised, uh, in spite of the fact this is uh, Monday, uh, just as I promised, uh, this is uh, another one of the uh, series of uh, three or four shows that I'm doing uh, that are the result of the fallout of the uh, the general effluvia dandruff of a trip around the world I took about uh, a week and a half ago. And I mean a week and a half ago. It was exactly seven days I went around the world. You know... After, and don't don't immediately write me as many people do. you are just doing what all the ridiculous American tourists do. They try to see the world in ten minutes. No, that's not. Uh, that's uh, you're you're way off base there. That was what I wanted to do. In other words, uh, I wanted the curious experience that a uh, say round the world uh, endurance flyer gets, or somebody who is uh, attempting to set a record gets. When he's uh, involved in some vast project, and let me tell you this: flying around the world is one of the most tiring things that I've done in a long time. It re- you you think you know flying in a jet plane, you think you groovy, you know. You sit there and they ply you with martinis, and, and I want to tell you, after about three or four days, you are really beat. I, I and and of course, there's a combination of things that go to make that up, and that um, I I. I suspect the most insidious is uh, what uh, has become known to most jet travelers is that jet lag there is a jet fatigue that sets in too and you know that scientists are not really aware yet of all the ramifications of why it is Uh, for example uh, what subtle and curious things happen to the human body hurtling uh, along through the upper atmosphere at around 35 to 40,000 feet at 600 miles an hour in a pressurized cabin what uh what does this do to you uh it, it uh, on the surface really nothing your heart is the same and your respiration is the same but yet you know astronauts have found that uh, traveling in a, in a pressurized atmosphere in a of course they're in a, in a weightless condition that adds some rather interesting ramifications to it too but uh, they, uh, they, they definitely have a, a profound fatigue which sets in after a, a comparatively short time. And traveling around the world has a few elements of that. In fact, uh, there, uh, there's been some talk about whether or not uh, problems arise when, say, a, a politician, let's just say, for example, a head of state, uh, travels to another country for a conference. And uh, he travels, let's say, 12,000 miles to get there. You may, and that's very possible today. You, a guy takes off from, say, a place like uh, Germany, and the next thing you know, he's flying to, uh, let's say, uh, Peking, or he's flying to someplace like that. He's traveled a long distance. He's gone through several time zones. He's been at a high altitude. He's been traveling at a very high velocity. What does it do to his judgment in that? When he arrives, what kind of curious things result? Well, I can tell you this. You get, a, you get an odd sense of almost like looking at the, the world through the bottom of a Coke bottle. It's not that things are specifically physically distorted. It's that your mind uh, skates over the surface of things and picks up some very odd and, in, in, interestingly enough, some quite profound insights, which you might not have had had you traveled at a much more leisurely pace. You know, it's that it's that feeling of being almost on the edge of hysteria that gives you a fantastic insight. You suddenly see the orchestra for what it is. <laughs> you know, you suddenly see the the singers for what they are, and it's a it's, it gives you an odd sort of X-ray vision. But uh, tonight, what I want to do is is talk about Bangkok. Uh, one of the stops uh, to review briefly what I did on this. Uh, it was exactly one week. I was gone. I left on a Sunday and got back on a Sunday. Exactly one week. And I did circumnavigate the globe. When I say fly around the world, I meant fly around the world. I uh, left the United States going east and came back to the United States over the west coast. So that's obviously going around the world. And how I went around the world, I went, uh, I will give you a rundown on the the cities that I went to briefly. Um... and the 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 actual direction. So if you've got a globe, you can you can see where I went. I left uh, New York City at night uh, from uh, Kennedy Airport. Took off on a Pan Am jet and just whistled out over the ocean that was blacker than the inside of your hat. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a cold, windy night when I left New York. And uh, it just seemed like just by the time I finished eating uh, the dinner that they served and the. Uh, Talk a little bit to people in the, in the plane. It was a packed plane, by the way, absolutely packed. Fantastic. I couldn't believe it. Uh, it wasn't a single seat empty. And uh, the next thing, we were coming down on the Hedgerow Airport, which is the a, a London Airport, Heathrow, rather, if you don't know the airport. It's a huge airport. It looks very much like Kennedy, one of those big airports. Uh, it has a specific English look, though, which is a kind of a sterile glassiness, Oddly enough, their offices have a tendency to look even more sterile and even more glassy than ours but uh anyway, I came down at to Heathrow, and uh, you know i I couldn't help but remember this though While walking around in Heathrow, uh, I got talking with one of the guys that was working on the the tea counter there uh you know they have a little counter there in the morning where they serve tea and they serve cakes and stuff. It's a airport transit lounge where you can go and have something to eat. And uh, he'd been at the airport for a long time, and I remembered the first time that I had flown into Heathrow before they built the the current fantastic operation they've got there now. And I remember what they had there. I I didn't see it there this time, and I guess it's someplace. It has to be somewhere on the airport. I wonder how many of you traveler types remember seeing this. It's a big bronze statue, beautiful bronze statue that... uh, that shows it's a statue of a pilot. Have you ever seen that one? And he's wearing a helmet, and he's got his goggles pulled pushed up on his on his uh, head, and he's wearing a uh, the you know the uh, sheepskin coat, the leather coat with the zippers all over it and stuff. And uh, he's he's got a whole. Uh, I, if I can remember correctly, he's carrying a parachute. Yeah, he's got it in his hand, and underneath it. He's walking. He's, he's sort of walking out at you. It's a beautifully done uh, sculptor. And uh, underneath it, it, it says the dedication is to the RAF. It says to those who gave their lives for the many and the few and all. You remember the famous quote of the RAF, and many of them flew from Heathrow, you know, during World War II. But that was at the entrance of the old airport, that great statue. When you came in there, you'd walk in and you these uh, see this, this tremendous statue of uh, the RAF pilot. Going out to his plane, obviously he was uh, just scrambled and he was on his way to the Spitfire. Well, I got talking to the to this guy in the airport there, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said uh, he was uh, he was around at the airport. I asked him if he was in the airport doing, you know, worked in there at the time. And he said, yes, he was a mechanic in the RAF, and he was working with a uh, with a squadron of Hurricanes, but he was not a Heathrow. He was at some other place in England, and so uh, I, I left England then, and the next. Stop was in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. I've been in Frankfurt many times, and uh, this is this is a very, very spectacular airport. You know the German airport now. Every every airport in the world, with few exceptions, is being rebuilt. As long as I can remember, there's always a big sign that says, "Excuse our airport, we're rebuilding it." Well, they're doing that in uh, Frankfurt, and Frankfurt has a strange airport. When you walk through it, it's got it's got all these glass encased. Lounges for the various various air, airlines and flights and stuff, and the seats are all all of molded plastic, uh, covered with a with a kind of a kind of a furry looking uh, uh, upholstery in different colors. But it's a curious. The, the floor is jet black. It's an odd looking place. It's got one long mechanical uh, sidewalks that run through it. It's a. It looks like something right out of the 21st century, but in a curiously depressing way. I think it's because of the black floor the black floor gives everything a kind of a somber odd look uh, like the whole thing is made out of obsidian well then I took off from Frankfurt and the next stop now I'm really getting into the exotica the next stop was uh, was Istanbul and uh, of course you come in over the over the water and uh, you fly, I remember being half asleep and looking out of the plane flying in over the uh, a- after we had flown over Yugoslavia you're flying over Yugoslavia, and you're flying uh, through various parts of uh, Poland, a very wild-looking country. And uh, and now the next thing you see is, is uh, Yugoslavia, and then bam, you're in you're in Istanbul. And of course, Istanbul has has played a part in the in the mythological world of the moviegoer for a long time. Everybody on is on the Orient Express at one time or another. Uh if it isn't Sydney Green Street it's Peter Laurie. If it isn't Peter Laurie it's Humphrey Bogart. Sometimes all three. And uh <laughs> they're on the on the Istanbul Express or the Orient Express and uh you see the minarets and the mosques and you know you really know you're getting there. Well I, I didn't spend any time in Istanbul. I had my choice of cities I wanted to really spend time in and I'd been in Istanbul a couple of times so I wanted to get on and, and the next airport after Istanbul was uh was Lebanon was uh, was uh, Beirut. Now Beirut is a fantastic airport in a lot of ways because this is a very deserty country. It's red uh, sand, and you come in over the Mediterranean, which is which is cobalt blue when you come in over it. And uh, and uh, I've been in this airport before. It's just it's very small. It's it's a very unpretentious airport. And you see all these. Layers. Can't you find it, Jerry? Give, give me. Get on the phone. There, you having trouble? I'll tell you. We're having trouble here. Yeah. Just give me the music. That's all. Don't don't give me any of the talk. Yeah. No, it's in the very last end of it. You're in the well, that's that's a, a totally different tape then. Uh, where do you do you have one that says Bangkok on there? Well, then it has to be in the beginning of it then. Yeah, so at the beginning, all right. Obviously. Okay. So, uh, because I came to Tokyo after I was in Bangkok, we'd we'll have to be on the next <laughs> part of the tape. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, we're, we're trying to get some tape straightened out here. Uh, I went to, uh, I went to, uh, Beirut. I'm not even going to spend much time talking about Beirut. And then we went on from Beirut. Uh, the next stop, now we're getting into some really exotic country. The next stop was Karachi. And now we're in India. Now I've been in India, you remember the Big trip I took to India last year, so I will not burden you with much talk about the India and Karachi. And then uh, I really was getting excited at this point. It was, it was the, the trip was really starting to make sense to me. You know, for the first couple of days, it seems like you're in a delirium. You can't really believe you're not in New York. But now I've given up New York. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm somewhere else in the world. Uh, not exactly, I don't know. And, and the thing that you, 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 you're constantly aware of in, in a world travel... By the way, may I, I have to make a postscript before I go any further. And I'm going to warn you right now that any time, I have noticed this, any time I do a show that has anything to do with travel, I'm immediately deluged with thousands of letters written on, on green stationery in purple ink from nice little old ladies quite often who wear tennis shoes and have cats. (laughs) I don't know what there is about travel that gets elderly ladies, but they just are out of their bird over it. I don't know what it is. It must be something Freudian. It's a substitute for something else, maybe, but uh, (laughs) this is WOR New York speaking of elderly ladies. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I constantly get these letters that say, Dear Mr.
1: Shepard, all
0: those other ridiculous things you do, you might as well give up because I love your travel shows. I have never gotten a letter, well, very rarely, I shouldn't say never, I've never gotten a letter about travel shows that I've done from men. And I want to make another observation on the whole travel scene. I would suspect that the travel industry is based a good 95% on women. And mostly uh, ladies of what the French call a certain age. Uh, (laughs) And also ladies of certain means. And uh, and wherever you go in the world today, and uh, and this is a curious thing, Uh, wherever you go, it's curious to me, I don't suppose it is to a travel agent, but wherever you go, can't you find it? Have you got it or not? Just see yes and no. No. Okay, then we'll kill the tape. No tape, then. We won't worry about it if you can't find it. It's on there, but if you can't find it, we won't mess around with it. So, uh, nevertheless, I, I, I don't see why you can't find it. You just can't find it. Is that it? Well, then why don't you turn it over and look on the other side, Jerry? If it's all Ginza, it's not all Ginza. Not the whole tape is not Ginza. I'll guarantee you that. Well, look. I mean, what's the point of talking about it? Yeah. Well, and that's all. then, then, then it's just mislabeled, Jerry. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Please. No. Try the Iran tape. The end of the Iran tape. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, just try all the tapes, Jerry. That's all you have to do. I don't have to tell you to do that. Yeah, there is something on Bangkok in there. It's up to you to find it. But uh, nevertheless, uh, excuse us here. We're having a little hassle in the middle of our discussion. But it's fascinating to me about travel, you know. Uh, I, I uh, Before we go any further, Jerry, do you have that that Portuguese music in there, please? Let's get on with some of our work here. Okay, let's hit that business. If you like to travel, friend, just give the hit there. Oh, man, you're listening to Portuguese music. <laughs> By the way, that is one of my favorite countries in the world, and I, it's it's odd that I'm doing a travel show tonight. But uh, one of the greatest travel buys that I know anywhere in the world, believe me, is a fantastic, incredible eight-day fly-and-drive tour of Portugal. Now, that means you get a car and you drive all over the country and it only costs you two hundred and seventy dollars now that's only good till the 30th of april that's this month and april is a fantastic month in portugal by the way and uh, man you could be driving along on one of those beautiful portuguese roads along the coast and having a little of that lobster and that wine and it's 270 bucks it's hard to believe it and that includes economy round-trip airfare now think about that man you spend that much just walking around some days and I would like to suggest you find out about it real quick, because it only goes to the 30th of April. Call the people at TAP, that's the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, for complete details. And Do it now, man, because that, those planes are filled. The number in New York is 421-8500, and the sale ends on Portugal the 30th of April. Bring it up there, man. This is Portuguesa. All right, thank you. Right, that's it. Good old. And uh, while they're uh, mulling that over, let's get the General Tire out of the way here. You got the General Tire spot? You plug it in there. And uh, there we go. Hit the ding-dong. Hit it there. Just bam it in there. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Big sale, friends. General Jet white Walls, Four-ply nylon core General Jet tubeless white Walls. In the popular size, which uh, everybody walks around and sings about, $65013. Now, anniversary price at only 66 bucks for a complete set of four tires. And that does not include tax. So, for big car owners, they've also got another big sale going on. So, mount your General Jet white walls today, but hurry, the sale ends Saturday, the 15th of April. That's at the home of the big red General Tire G, your one stop car care service station. So, bring it up big there. By the way, you can see it at Herb Jordan's General Tire of Jersey. Dump, da-dump, dump. Where is he? He's in East Rutherford. Okay, thank you. Now, we've completed our little problems there. Now, if you can find that tape in there in Bangkok, you just let me know when you can find it. I hope you can find it before the end of the show. As uh, For those of you who uh, wonder what the problem is here, we've brought back a whole mess of unedited tapes they there on cassettes. And uh, when you're traveling around the world out there, you you uh, have problems keeping your your luggage straight, much less labeling tapes. And they're looking for a tape that I made in Bangkok. It's someplace in there. You hear it? You'll hear it. It's music. And there's a fist fight. And there's the sound of me being thrown out of a native bazaar, right, trailing smoke. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I I must make another comment about travel, which is fascinating to me, and I'm not not seen much writing about this, I would venture to say that that 95% of the the travelers you see in very out-of-the-way places are not young, hip college types, which you would expect if you were innocent and didn't know much about traveling. You would expect that. Not so. That in the most exotic places that I've been in the world, I generally see crowds of ladies with blue hair. (laughs) <laughs> Very expensive luggage, tromping around the country behind a guide, and uh, he's he's pointing out uh, the local monuments, the local uh, bazaar, and uh, they're they're dogged about it. I mean they're they're absolutely dogged, and these these ladies usually wear space shoes, and they've got that that grim leather face of of a lady. But by God, she's going to see the world before it's too late, and she's tromping around, usually great piles of souvenirs and stuff uh, in bags and baskets with her. And uh she's often traveling with another lady who looks exactly like her. now they're retired school teachers generally or the retired ladies who clip coupons uh, or whose husband uh, finally said the hell with it all and he left this veil of tears and left the whole ball of wax to them. <laughs> he finally took off uh, now that's probably a good seventy five percent of the people that travel uh, the other The other little group of people uh, are a large number of ladies also of a certain age, and they are being trailed at a respectful distance by a very tired, irritated husband who's being dragged on this trip. Uh, he, you see this everywhere you go. He's sort of, oh, you know, and and you see him in tourist buses. You see him all lined up out in front of the hotels. They're getting ready for the tour number three, which is going to take him to the hashish joints, and they can see a real opium joint and all that stuff. And the husband has this uh, very sad, that's part of it, but they also, there's music in there, Jerry. I don't know which side, Jerry. How the hell do I know? Uh, I mean, I was recording that stuff at, in hotel rooms and I don't know which side it's on. But, uh, I wanted you to, uh, to uh, hear some of the stuff that went on in Bangkok. Now, I'm going to get on to Bangkok. I'm not going to bother you anymore with that stuff. Whether you get the tape on or not is immaterial to me. I'll just go on and do what I do. Now, uh, in in Bangkok, when you land in Bangkok to begin with, was, as you come in oh, in the Bangkok from the direction that I came in, you fly over Burma. You fly over some very very wild country. I mean, the kind of country that if the airplane ever went down, they simply wouldn't hear from you again. That's the end of the ball game. You fly in over mountain ranges. You fly in over river deltas. Uh, one of the most uh, all right, okay, one of the most, that isn't it, but that's all right, it'll do. One of the most, uh, there's dances, Jerry, people dancing and guys playing horns and stuff, not just the radio show, but I'll use that. So, so when they, when you come in to Burma, over Burma, you, you come in over this river delta, uh, several deltas. In fact, the, the pilot that, that was flying us had a sense of history. Not me well, he did, you know, and I, I personally, I'm not like a lot of people who, who seem to resent the pilot saying anything to him when he's flying. Most people tend to think of pilots as sort of glorified bus drivers. They are not. Uh, these are highly trained professional men, and most of them are extremely, especially on the overseas routes, are very worldly men. These are guys who maybe for 20 years have been flying to all the ports of the world, and many of them speak two or three or four or five languages. Uh, They're highly uh, literate men. And this particular pilot uh, got on the, uh, the PA system a couple of times, and he was describing the country over which we were flying, and one of the places that he pointed out was the Irrawaddy River. Now, do you know anything about the Irrawaddy? Well, this, this is a famous river that flows down through parts of Burma and that. And it was part of the, of the world of Joe Stilwell. I had just finished reading uh, a, a great book, by the way, and I would recommend it to you, the, the Stilwell Papers, the Stillwell Experience, the China Experience, by Barbara Tuckman. Uh, Joseph Stilwell's, uh, the, the story of Joseph Stilwell, the general. Fantastic story. And you'll understand a lot more about why we're in problems in China and in the entire Middle East if you read this. Well, anyway, the Irrawaddy River is a famous river, and uh, a lot of a lot of battles took place in World War II in and around the Irrawaddy River including uh, battles that involved Merrill's Marauders, uh, people, uh, many types of commando raids, the Japanese, it's the Burmese jungles is what it is, and in fact it's the same country that the bridge of the River Kwai was about. Uh, and we flew in over that. And, and by the way, just outside of Bangkok, speaking of the River Kwai, is the river where they did this movie. Uh, you, did you see the movie, David Lean's movie, The Bridge and the River Kwai? Well, that was photographed. There's a, there's a tour that you can take out of Bangkok that takes you right to this river. And, uh, and this, this river is, of course, it's a, it's a typical jungle, tropical river. And uh, come on, you guys. Let's, let's quit talking about it. Let's get back get back to get to work here. And and the jungles are absolutely impenetrable when you fly over them. They're just fantastic. And so the the, the pilot was describing the scene as we flew in over it. And uh, I had read a lot about that world just before I flew into it. And so it was really interesting to me. And then we came into Bangkok. And Bangkok Airport is uh, for a modern airport today. It's it's rather small. It's uh, just a couple of strips. And that lies on the outskirts of Bangkok, which is a big, flat city. When you come in, uh, you can see water glinting everywhere. The city, a large part of the population of Bangkok, you know, lives on water. This is the place where the famous floating market is. And and one of the great tours, in fact, one of the great experiences as a tourist is to take that morning trip. It leaves around 6 o'clock in the morning. And you get in the little tiny boats, and they take you along through the canals and along the rivers, and uh, past all these houses, and the, this, the, the the Thai people are among the world's most felicitous. I, I just doubt whether you'll find people anywhere in the world that you will more instinctively and immediately and continuously like than the Thais. They have the kind of attitude and the kind of, I suppose you might say the kind of personality that you would often associate with the hobbits. You know, the ring, the hobbits, uh, you'd think they live in Oz, and and their country is a little bit like Oz, especially Bangkok, uh, because everywhere you look, you know there's these beautiful temples and this this strange otherworldly Oriental quality. But isn't the Oriental quality of the Japanese or the Chinese? It's it's uh, it's uh, it's almost uh, well, it's almost so theatrical that you you tend to be, to begin to believe if, that uh, that was put up there for you to see it, you know, for a tourist. But after a while, you realize it's true. And everywhere you look, you see little hanging mobiles. They, they love hanging things that just hang with the breeze blowing. And it's a very hot city, by the way. The temperature, every time I've been in Bangkok, it's been in the 90s. But it's uh, it was pleasant this time. It wasn't, wasn't that hot, but it was a pleasant heat. And uh, the, the hotel I stayed at had a fantastic pool, and all these, these uh, Middle Eastern types and all kinds of intercontinental travelers were lounging at the pool. And I want to tell you this. Uh, America... If you think you've seen some bikinis, friends, uh, around the world, they have got bikinis that you have to concentrate to see. The bikinis. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, uh, it's it's incredible. And 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 so here are all these people lounging around the pool. The temperatures 85, 90, 95 degrees. Lush, tremendous uh, tropical foliage all around you, and you can hear birds. Uh, at night, in fact, there's some stuff in there that I recorded at night. If you can find, if we can ever find it, I'll have it sometime during the week, I'll find it. But there's night birds that I recorded in Bangkok late at night. Uh, you can hear them just about 1 o'clock in the morning. They start they start their songs and the trees and the palm trees and the palmetas around there. Well, the the atmosphere in Bangkok is a curious one. I mean, among the people, because they're very... Even though they're very happy, they're jovial people, they're very apprehensive because strange things are happening in that part of the world. Uh, the war, as you know, is going on a very short distance from their, their country. And in fact, uh, there are many uh, evidences that, that they themselves are about to be invaded. And they're very, very apprehensive, although they don't say much about it. They're just sort of walking around in a, in a curious kind of daze, I found. And coming in from the airport, there's a long road that you take in. It's a new road. It's, it wasn't there the last time I was there. And by the way, this airport is in a state of total chaos. Uh, it is re- being rebuilt, but it's being rebuilt in an oriental way, which means that you walk through great puddles of, of mud, and uh, they have boards laid over over great lakes of mud that you, you, you think if you fall in, you'll have to be eaten up by leeches. Who knows? And uh, it's just kind of battered, and all the people are sitting around. There's a lot of G.I.s that are going through there, and you can see, you can tell them all the time. They, you can just see, even though they're wearing their civilian clothes, you can always tell a G.I. He always looks like he was vaguely dressed by Sears Roebuck. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what it is. But uh, uh, the, 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 the road is a long, narrow road that takes you right into the city. And all along, on either side of you, are rice paddies and, and uh, tea paddies as you ride along. And uh, the first thing that hit me was was trucks. You saw These, the, the Bangkok, the people in Bangkok decorate their trucks magnificently. Yeah, they put hammer. Well, it looks like hammered silver on the fronts of them. They love their trucks, you know. In the Orient, as a matter of fact, they pay homage to machines. I remember being in India one day when they were having a, a national holiday, which is celebrated every- by everybody in in uh, in India that pays homage to the machines which have done them such faithful service during the year. And they'll hang a little rose on the front of their car. Uh, uh, yeah, girls in offices will, will put a little ribbon on their typewriter. Yeah, it's it's a it's kind of an uh, it's, it's odd little thing, you know, which we don't even think of here. But uh, their, their trucks are all decorated yellow, and they have green and blue, and they put uh, what looks like great big silver eagles on the side of them. And enormous uh, silver scroll work on the hood and the dashboard. And uh, every four or five miles, you'd see seven or eight trucks filled with Thai soldiers who are tiny. By the way, these people are very small. You feel like you're a giant when you're in Thailand. I don't care whether you're uh, small for our country, you're big in Thai, in the the world of the Thai. Uh, They're tiny people. Uh, Not many of them are much more than... A man may maybe be five feet f- three or four or five, and the tall one is five feet six or seven. He's really tall. Uh, the girls are tiny and absolutely exquisite. They're just magnificently uh, beautiful girls. And so I'm taking this this uh, limousine in. and It was just a little truck, actually. It's a, a great word, limousine. But uh, we're riding through the town, and at the... Uh, it's, it's such an exciting place to go into because there's a great life among the Siamese and the Thai and they're, they're very happy. The whole feeling of the city is upbeat. It's a happy place where you go in and out of stores and, and, and their movie houses by the way are incredible. They're fantastic, great, huge pictures of uh, the picture that was playing there by the way uh, at the time uh, was, uh, was a picture that's uh, currently playing pretty much in the States here. It's a it's a uh, dirty Harry, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Have you seen it? with uh, Clint Eastwood, is the Clint Eastwood, yeah? And here's a gigantic picture, of Clint Eastwood. Well, I knew it was Dirty Harry, but they had it written in Thai. You, know? you see the squealer letters all underneath it there, a gigantic lurid. They go for great lurid posters of movies. And uh, the, 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 uh, the Siamese movies must be something else, because they're, they're lurid posters of, of a, uh, one, I remember specifically, of a guy beating another guy. And he's lying on the ground. He's got this. Fanta- they look like they all look like illustrations for uh, really bad uh, true detective type magazines. You know, painted in yellows and reds. And here's this guy lying on the ground. His, he's he's looking in terrible pain. And the other guy's beating him. But what is he doing? He's beating him with a bicycle. Now that's a curious Oriental touch. Yeah, he's got a bicycle. He's beating him with a bike. Well, all right, that must be some big scene in the movie. And uh, nevertheless, uh, when I got to got into town. Uh, I, I i couldn't couldn 't recommend a visit to Bangkok too highly and and i 'm afraid that in a few years it 'll have to be uh, it, just in a few years with the influx of great numbers of people going through and and various wars and invasions that are happening in that area the The Thai people will join the rest of the human race uh, they 'll you know they 'll become uh, like the rest of us it 'll have to be in a surly uh, knocking down a buck wherever you can, the whole bit, which you find in the rest of the Orient pretty much. But for, at this point now, they are the, the, the genuine nation of flower children. They really are beautiful people. And so when I got into town, uh, I, I began to do everything that I always wanted to do in Bangkok, which is a lot, by the way, there's a lot of great stuff to do in Bangkok. The nightclubs, the nightlife is, is really swinging in that town. And they have magnificent dances and stuff. Just it's just a great place to do things because there's something. There's always something happening. And uh, do you have a tape of the TTV radio. Well, this is an example of what they hear in in Thailand. This is a, a radio station, uh, TTV radio. And uh, the first thing I did, I turned on the radio, and here's where's what you hear in Thailand. Just hit the button. There. <laughs> So you see, rock is, is big everywhere, and this is rock is being broadcast in, in that Thai radio, and you'll hear him make his spots. How long does this music go? You don't know. Halo, one, two, three, four, four. All right. Hello test. There I am testing my tape recorder. Let's just wait, wait till he comes on. Uh, uh, cue that up in there, Ed, to where he's talking, not just the music. You'll, you'll find that the... Analysis, cause they, they, rock is just being played constantly there. It's very difficult to hear actual Thai music being played on the air there in the town. Yeah, what do you got there now? More rock. Well, go past the rock. Here we go. Yeah, now we've got a cute.
1: With a Faf machine. Faf, known for over 100 years as the world's finest sewing machines. And Faf make a model for every home and for all types of industrial sewing. Faf sewing machines from Barrow Windsor on display at the Yu Yang Foundation building. Showrooms of Barrow Windsor, right there in 968 Ramaphore Road in Bangkok. And if you want to call up uh, Barrow Windsor and ask a little bit more about FAF Machines, telephone 865271. P F A F F spells FAF, pronounced in Thai, Paf. Mummy, can I have some more awkward batter on my test? Yeah, these are these that. are commercials in new Thailand. Have you tried new orchid butter yet? Rich, creamy, delicious orchid, made to the highest Australian standards. Orchid butter in the golden wrap is at your store or supermarket now. And with the time just a little after quarter past eight, time for our regular 15 minutes of music brought to you on the early bird by Bangkok's three houses of top fashion fabrics. The Royal Silk Store, the Taj Mahal, and the Royal Taj Mahal.
0: Okay, fine. Now, that, uh, the, the, just go in a little further on that, and you'll find there's a lot of other stuff in there. Just keep going in there. Now, that was a 15-minute, that was early morning, that's wake-up time. That's the, the John Gambling of, uh, of Thailand. Yeah, he's very popular, and I just wanted to hear him because <laughs> you see everybody talking and listen in the morning. He's got a very clipped British accent, as you can tell, and he is loaded with commercials. And uh, that's a typical example of of the kind of radio that you hear all over that area, and that's uh, that's one of the big Thai radio stations. And as you can tell, it's very commercial, and they do things like odd commercials, so things like uh, sewing machines are very big out in these. because, of course, the people there are 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 much, uh, I think, uh, in a way they're 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 not quite. Uh, uh, as dependent on stores as we are. So making your own clothing is a very big thing throughout large parts of the world. And, in fact, that's one of the things that hit me about Tehran. Down in the bazaar, there were store after store after store with thousands of uh, of sewing machines on sale, um, Italian sewing machines. That was of an Italian machine he was selling Yeah, The Faf is an Italian machine. And uh, the Italian and the Japanese sewing machines are very big throughout the Orient. Now, you've got something else there? Okay, now, I don't know what the the tape is that we've got up right now. Now, this is is Thai music. Now, I'll give you uh, a a little outline of what happened here. I went into uh, a restaurant where they were having, uh, it was native Thai music and native dancing. And it was a Thai restaurant. Now the food, the food of course, is, 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 is typically Thai, which means it's very exotic treatment of rice. They use uh, rice as the basis of their food, with uh, elegant spices in it. It's just, it's uh, some of the most interesting food I've ever had in the Orient. And they, they, they sprinkle around at various meat dishes that are sprinkled in this one big bowl. You eat everything out of one bowl. And so things are placed in little spots on the rice. Uh, like for example very spicy chicken uh, there's a kind of beef curry and then they'll put a, a, a little bit, a bit of very sweet pork and uh, strange exotic desserts with the with, uh, odd leaves and spices and now this is this is the sound of the Thai music and they were dancing at the same time you hear the people talking at the table yeah you're right in Thailand he right
1: right a lot of race. yeah
0: it is talking to the person I was with. And they wear, they wear uh, exotic costumes when they dance. Uh, gold embroidery and almost all of their dances involve the hands. Uh, their hands fly like flocks of birds. And, and when three or four dancers are dancing together like two girls and a man or maybe three men and three or four girls, their hands float all together like in flocks and the music plays and they just sit and grin and enjoy it now here's the night sound oh. this is this is 10 o'clock at night maybe 2 in the morning I don't recall exactly but hear the sound of the Thai night bring it up that's the sound of a tropical sound. Uh, night sounds in uh, Bangkok Siam Oh, doesn't that sound like the tropics? That's right in the middle of the city. You can hear a, an occasional car off in the distance. And the sky is like velvet there. You're, you're in the middle of the tropics. You're not far from the equator. And it's warm and lush. You can smell flowers just drifting in. And off in the distance, you can smell the river. You can, you can smell just the edge of, of, uh, of the rice paddies in the middle of the city. a couple of, couple of uh, Thai men walked past me. You hear talking? Isn't that a fantastic racket? That's nighttime. Oh, you can hear those, those frogs and birds.
1: That's
0: a guy talking Thai. Bangkok. Yeah, that uh, that hallowing stuff in there is me checking my tape recorder, making sure it was modulating. But that's the sound of nighttime, deep night in uh, in Bangkok. And uh, I'm glad that I have it on tape and uh, I have a lot of other things in that country on tape because I s- have you noticed that, that the sounds of a thing bring it to life much more than pictures? Now, just just hearing that sound of of nighttime in Thailand, I mean, it's it's it's, it's eerie how you can you can sense, you can f- practically feel that you're there. No picture could ever do that. There's no way. And yes, I am. It's lying out there now. And by the way, their exactly time differential is is exactly 12 hours off of ours. So if you're listening to this at 10.15 or 10 o'clock at night, it's 10 o'clock in the morning there, and the buses are starting to roll, and people are out walking, and the Thai men, uh, all, all, almost all seem to dress pretty much the same when they're on their way to their office. They have snowy white shirts, spectacularly white, very starched, and they wear uh, black, very tight pants, that's it. And they... they walk very efficiently on their way to work. You see a few bicycles, thousands of of, uh, Datsuns, Toyotas, millions of Suhurus, all kinds of Japanese cars whistling up. Now you rarely see an American car there in that country. And the heat, you can smell the flowers, you see pictures of Japanese or other Siamese fighting fish everywhere. That's one of the symbols of Siam, and they have mobiles made of fighting fish. And you can see windows full of silk, and uh, those strange, little, odd, happy people who are curiously worried now. Bangkok. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news.
1: News in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. The South Vietnamese military command denies any knowledge of mutinies or defections by its troops battling Vietnamese communists in the 12-day-old enemy offensive. A spokesman said a couple of hundred troops are missing, but he said it is presumed they were killed or captured. North Vietnam had claimed that mutinies and defections of Saigon government officers and soldiers have occurred on the northern front in Quang Tri Province, referring to its 56th regiment. The South Vietnamese spokesman said little is known of what happened after the regiment was overrun at Firebase Base Carroll in the initial enemy drive through the demilitarized zone, Viet Cong units attacked a South Vietnamese ammunition dump eight miles east of Saigon. They set off an explosion that rocked buildings in the capital. One Viet Cong was reported killed, but there were no reports of other South Vietnamese casualties. Sources said that about 25% of the ammunition in the dump was destroyed. Earlier reports said the explosion was a floating ammunition barge. Defense Secretary Melvin Laird said the United States is reinforcing its air and naval units in Indochina as insurance against a communist takeover of South Vietnam. But the Pentagon continues to insist that no